Good morning. Many of you throughout the week. these letters from Peter. Uh, we're looking at these encouraging words by Peter that were written to suffering and scattered Christians in the first century, and from that, we're harvesting strength from Peter's words for our spiritual journey uh, today. So far, let's see what we've learned. We've learned that we're to be encouraged to reorder our hearts by faith, to make Jesus our priority so that we're born again into his kingdom. Uh, Peter has assured us that this living and vibrant hope that we have uh, is certain because it's rooted and based upon the proof that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. He then told us about eternal life. Uh, How we live our lives here determines whether we spend life, a real heaven with this great inheritance from God that's shielded and protected by him, or we face the real judgment called hell uh, with those who have chosen to live a life apart from his love, his mercy, his grace, and to reject that truth of God. You know, we're asked to be many things in our world today, aren't we? Uh, What are we to be? Uh, Shakespeare's to be or not to be is still pretty relevant for today, isn't it? What is it that we're called to be? Uh, Just think of some of the things that we're called to be in our world today. We are called to be on heightened alert uh, during holidays uh, to spot terrorist activities. We are called to be compliant uh, to the laws and regulations of the company where we work. We're called to be sensitive to the people all around us. Uh, We're called to be correct in our attitudes, our behaviors, our conduct, our treatment of everyone in order to accomplish equality. We're called to be productive. Uh, We're called to be tolerant. But I dare say that most of us, Christian and non-Christian, if we were asked what are we called to be, would rarely respond with the answer. The answer that the Bible gives that we are called, above all else, to be holy. To be holy is the most important and decisive decision we will ever make. It affects our life. It impacts the culture. It transforms our attitudes, our behaviors, and the behaviors and attitudes of those around us. You know, in last week's lesson, when we looked at what it meant for people to be judged because they rejected the love and mercy and truth of God given to us through Jesus Christ, we ended with this verse from 2 Peter 3, verse 11. And here's this verse. What kind of people, here's that question, what kind of people ought you to be? What ought we to be? And Peter responds, well, in light of there is a real heaven and a real hell, you ought to be holy and godly in your living. So we're called to be holy and godly in our living. God wants us to be holy. Now, there is no doubt about the confusion on this topic of being holy in and out of the church. Some of you today are saying, this topic is not for me. However, both the Christian and the non-Christian probably, though, look at holy, and they think about being good or moral or pure or honest 
or compassionate or conscientious. And they conclude, I can never be perfect in those areas, so I can never really be holy the way God wants me to be holy. In some circles, to be holy refers to a super saint, doesn't it? You've performed some sort of super spiritual event. Church has categorized it as some sort of unique experience. You've done something supernatural through super spiritual strength. Time goes by, and kind of like the Hall of Fame, you get into the Hall of Saints, and now you're declared to be a saint. Right? So we classify being holy for super saints. Well, I want us to get our feet wet with that one just to begin with, before we plunge deeper into this idea of what it means to be holy. Being holy is not being a super saint. It is not the church investigating all the things you've done and then later on declaring that this person is now in the hall of fame of super saints over the centuries. Uh, That's tradition. That's not the Bible. Let's make sure we have biblical definitions for the terms that we're using. To be holy is not a super saint. To be holy is simply the word hagios. To be holy, the Bible says every Christian is holy. Every Christian is a saint. As Jesus says, you're either a sheep or you're a goat. As an old preacher said many years ago, you're either a saint or you ain't. (laughs) There's no in between. You're a saint or you ain't. There is no supernatural saints where... Christians, we're all holy. We're not super saints. You can be good with good deeds and not be holy. But if you're holy, you will have good deeds. You can be morally pure and not be holy. But if you're holy, you ought to be morally pure. Uh, You can be honest and trustworthy and not be holy. But if you're holy, you ought to be trustworthy and honest. To be holy is not being good or moral or pure or honest You can be moral or honest or compassionate or loving or even-tempered and conscientious and still not be holy. I'm not trying to confuse you with playing word games with you, but trying to stress the point that most, including many Christians, some of you here today in this room, do not like this topic today because we never feel like we can never, ever be holy enough. We think that we will never do anything extraordinary in our life to be deemed into the Hall of Fame of sainthood. And certainly on our block, we will not be the most moral, loving, compassionate, loving person that anyone's ever known. So therefore, being holy is not for me. If you get anything out of this lesson today, I want you to observe the number of times that I mention being holy oftentimes means we're acting ungodly. That many times we can be holy and still be doing ungodly things. Uh, Specifically, look at this verse again on the screen. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Well, I thought that was the same thing, holy and godly. No, no, it's not. They're two different things. We ought to be holy, and godly is the practices. It's what we do. It's what it refers to. What sort of person ought to be? I need to be holy who is involved in godly practices. What are some of those godly practices? Being moral, pure. Honest, behaving, etc. So here's the first question. Then what does it mean to be holy? And that's the first question you see on the slide. What does it mean to be holy? The word holy means to be separated. It means to be separated. That's all it means. It means to be set aside and set aside usually for a particular purpose. 
It has nothing to do with the object. It has nothing to do with the person that makes them special. What makes them holy is the one who makes the act of separating them from other things. what God has done for you. We have a great example of this with Israel. God of all the nations of the world deemed Israel to be the holy nation. He chose Abraham to be the father of many nations. And yet in the life of Israel, if you trace back its history, always called the holy nation, spent most of its history doing ungodly things in rebellion to God, and yet God still called them holy. Abraham was not a perfect man, was he? Was not a perfect man. In fact, you can, in the Bible there are recorded periods of his life where he's doing ungodly things, and yet he has been separated from all the other people at that time and said, you will be the father of these people. So God, through his own accord, not the import of Abraham or Israel, chose to make Israel the holy nation. Even when it acted ungodly, even when Abraham acted ungodly, he chose Israel as all the nations to demonstrate for all times his sovereignty over all the other nations and to declare for all times that all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of Israel, the holy nation. So this is what it means to be holy, just to be separate. Godliness is practicing what God wants us to do in that holy cup. Now, what does it mean to be holy? It means I have a great desire to be like my father. In Leviticus and 1 Peter, we're told to be holy as our God is holy. We have a choice in life. You can live apart from God, separated from God, and be unholy and ungodly in your actions. Or you can choose to, be desire, to have the desire to be like God. And to be like God means you're going to separate yourself from this world and its evil desires. It means that you want to imitate your father. My God, Father, is holy. I want to be holy like him. I want to be on his side. I want him to separate me from the world. I want to be like my father. My father is a jealous God. 
My father is a God who says, you will have no other gods before me. My God says, I will faithfully uh, declare you righteous. I will make you holy if you will uh, follow after me to serve me. You'll have no other gods before me. To separate ourselves from what the world idolizes and to be like him, our father, to follow him and only him. So the next time someone asks you, what, what do you want to be? You should respond, I want to be holy. I want to be like my Father God. That gives you a wonderful opportunity to explain what you mean. Your purpose in this life is to imitate your Father, but it's also to be like King Asa in the Old Testament. Maybe you remember that story from 2 Chronicles 15. Uh, the dedication that Asa has towards God. When King Asa heard about God's people, holy nation, had been doing ungodly things, and he realizes that, and that convicts him. He makes the decision to dedicate himself to the Lord. And in fact, in 2 Chronicles 15, it says he wholly dedicated himself to the Lord. Fully dedicated himself to God. How did he do that? Tore down the idols. He took things of his own um, particular uh, objects that were in his house. He then put them and dedicated them in the temple for the use in temple only. Was Asa a perfect man? No. Go back and read 2 Chronicles 15. You see that although he had wholly devoted his life to God, he did not do everything correctly. He was not perfect. But he made the commitment, dedicated himself to God to do that. Folks, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to see that we are to uh, be holy because he declared us holy. And in the process, then, we dedicate our family, our careers, our finances, our entertainment, our lifestyles, our morals, the way we treat others to him. Uh, to be holy and godly in everything we do, to fully commit ourselves and dedicate our lives to God as Asa did. And when we make that commitment before God to be holy, even when we're not perfect, as Asa was not perfect, God is pleased with a heart that's dedicated to him. That's what it means to be holy. To be holy in the image of our Father God and to be dedicated ourselves to this sort of life requires a great trust in God. Do you remember the story of Caleb? In Numbers 13 through 14, uh, God goes to his people that he had separated from the Egyptians. <clears throat> he had taken this holy nation, the Israelites, taken them out of slavery, crossed the Red Sea, provided food for them every single day, took care of all their needs, marched in the promised land, said, go into that promised land, it's going to be all yours, just take it. And so out of that group of Israelites, 12 are selected, separated to go out and spy the land. Do you remember that? 12 go and spy the land. 10 of the 12 come back and they say, look, everything God said is true. It is fantastic, but the cities are fortified. We'll get crushed. The people, they're like giants and we're grasshoppers next to them. They are just going to wipe us out. 10 of the 12 say that. Two did not, but the 10 did. Joshua and Caleb Sam said, oh, no, no, trust in God. God who got us here will get us through God's promises. land. We need to trust in God and not our own selves. But they listened to the ten, remember? And when they listened to the ten negative reports, it says they then grumbled against God, began to grumble among themselves. They wanted to pose of Moses as a leader. They then, because of the optimistic spirit of Joshua and Caleb, wanted to stone them to death. Remember that? Well, God intervenes, and he punishes that holy nation for their ungodly attitudes and actions. In other words, those people trusted more in what they saw than in the promise that God had given them. In other words, they were more...
fearful of the power of the world than they were of the promises and the power of God. They put their hope in what they could see rather than what was unseen. Joshua and Caleb stood firm. They trusted God. They stayed on his side, separated from the other ten and from the rest of the Israelites, didn't they? God intervenes to keep from that happening. He punishes the Israelites for their ungodliness, although they're a holy nation. For their lack of desire to, to keep their trust in him. And so he then says this statement, Caleb, I'm looking at Caleb. There's a different spirit in him. He has a different spirit than anybody else. And what he's saying is, Caleb, trust in me. And he blesses Caleb in the midst of all the ones who had separated themselves from God. I think about the decision that Joshua made, don't you? Joshua, early on in his life, made the decision to keep his life separate from the group and to remain loyal to Moses. And wherever Moses went, Joshua followed. And got to experience many of the spiritual things that Moses experienced because he made the decision to stay in touch with God. When Moses dies, the mantle of leadership is passed on to Joshua. Remember that? He leads a life that's not a perfect life. There's many unholy things in Joshua's life. He's not perfect, but he's wholly committed to God. Makes that decision. At the end of his life, he has this challenge to the Israelites. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll do what? We're going to serve the Lord. That is a decision maker. A decision maker. His decision to serve God and commit the next generation of his family to serve God is a great example of what it means to be holy and godly. Joshua was not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we make the decision that we're going to trust in God, that we're going to dedicate our families to God because we want to be like our Heavenly Father who's holy, holy, holy. There's another word you've probably heard with the word holy. It's also the word sanctified. You've heard that term, haven't you? We make that a Sunday morning word. The word sanctified, same word as holy. The word holy means be separated. That's all it means, be separate. To be sanctified is that same word, to be set aside, to be set apart. Jesus used that term uh, several times in his prayer in John 17, just hours before the cross. Let's take a look at that prayer. In that prayer, Jesus beautifully lays out what it means to be holy and how we're made holy and what happens when we are holy. Beautiful. John 17. He's praying to the Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. So he prays for full measure of joy. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. Separation, see that? They're separated, word of truth's involved. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, not isolate them, not have them set up communities all by themselves and are away from non-Christians. No, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one while they're in this world. they got a mission. They're not of the world. Why? Because they've been separated. Their citizenship is in heaven, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them the red cup with the straws. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Peter talked about that in just a moment. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Mission. For them I'm sanctified myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What an unusual thing to say. If holiness means that you're getting better, you're improving, uh, that, you can, that you need to be perfect. Jesus was perfect, wasn't he? Jesus never committed a sin, and yet in verse 19 he says, I'm going to do what? I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to make myself holy. Does that mean that Jesus says, I've not done enough? 
Does it mean before I go to the cross, I've got to improve my, my ministry? There's some things that are unfinished, unaccomplished I've got to do before I can go to the cross and be the perfect example to be holy? No. It just simply means, Father, I trust in you. I'm going to do your will. Give me the strength to do your will. I'm dedicating myself here in this, in this prayer to do your will. I'm setting my life aside. I'm going to honor the decision we made in heaven prior to uh, people, the foundation of the world, that I must suffer many things, that I'll be, die on the cross for their sins, that I'll be buried in a tomb for three days, that I'll be raised on the third day, that I will appear among hundreds of people for the next 40 days, and then I will ascend into heaven, and one day I'm returning back to claim those who follow me holy and godly all these generations. It was simply a decision. To sanctif- we are sanctified, set aside, because what Jesus did for us. Jesus needed no improvement. So that's what practically and precisely it means to be holy. It's not some sort of idealistic call to perfection. No one is good and perfect except God alone. We all sin. We fall short of God's glory and standards, don't we? However, what we're called to do is to make the decision to trust in God and to dedicate our lives to live separate for God, dedicating ourselves to being holy God makes us holy to live out those godly practices. Separated and doing the things God has called us to do. That's what it means to be holy. Well, how are we made holy? How are we made holy? The answer, Jesus. We're made holy by Jesus. Jesus, what he did for us by redeeming us on the cross, he declares us to be holy. You see that in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. For if you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you, the scripture should be on the board, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So what we are, we are redeemed by the cross of Jesus Christ. We're redeemed by what he did for us. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as a substitute so that when I put my faith in him as my savior, God sets me aside and declares that because of my faith in Christ, I am holy. He declares me holy, separated from others because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm redeemed by Christ, declared holy. And the word of truth is where I discover that. This beautiful word of truth. How does God develop this consciousness of being holy in me? Uh, he does it through his word, 1 Peter 1, 22, through chapter 2, 1 through 3. Now that you've been purified by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for the brethren, love one another deeply from the heart. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babes. Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. In order for us to be holy... And godly, we ought to be lovers of the word of truth. We have to be in a great relationship with the word of truth. The more we're in God's word, trusting in it as his word, the greater our commitment will be to living the godly lifestyle that we're called to live in being holy. The more we see the power of God in action, we taste the goodness of the Lord. The scripture teaches us here, it's a purifying word by the power of the word of God, to transform our unholy, ungodly lives into godly people that are holy before God. I want to show you several slides from 
uh, Parage, Uganda. Up to several years ago in Uganda, there had been a 30-year civil war. The place was devastated by that civil war. Infrastructures destroyed, houses destroyed, poverty, just unbelievable poverty and devastation. <clears throat> After 30 years, the civil war ended, but even to this day in that area of Uganda, Muslim radicals are creating major havoc in the area. But there's this one area called Parwich, Uganda, that has been transformed, and it happened a few years ago. When a young student at a Christian college in, Lip in uh, Nashville heard about Parwich, placed on her heart, and as a student, she started gathering information and groups of teams around her to go to that area specifically to rebuild the houses, to rebuild the infrastructure, uh, to build better water, to help this place that had been totally devastated to be transformed to a place where they could live again. It first started with that. In the process of that, she was able to teach the gospel with others. And you see the man in the white shirt and tie, and you probably figured out he's a preacher, right? <laughs> but, uh, he was one of the first converts. This is one of many congregations that came out of that uh, just a couple of years ago from what they were doing. Very beautiful, the infrastructure going on. She graduated from college. She started a nonprofit organization, Christian organization, for Parwich specifically, dedicated to helping these people. She got together with the Wycliffe translators because she saw in this area they had a unique language style. The Wycliffe translators then created a Bible for this group in their own language. I want to see the next slide. This happened two years ago. Here's the next slide. This is the day those Bibles were delivered. They spent three days in celebration and festivities if they had the Word of God. Crying, rejoicing, just dancing in the streets that they had these Bibles that was now in their language from two years ago. She attends the Ethos Church of Christ in Nashville and partnered with the leaders of the Ethos Church and said, hey, uh, they, they're starting to plant churches all over the area. <clears throat> Would you guys be responsible for that and provide supplies and training for them? And the Ethos congregation said, yes, we'll be glad to do that. So they provided five bicycles and other things that they needed. And she said, I think this year we'll need a trainer to come over for 30 people to plant some other churches. Well, here's the next slide. The next slide, you recognize the guy with the hat? That's Aaron Etheridge. Remember Aaron Etheridge? He was in our youth group in the late 90s. Aaron Etheridge was the church planner they sent over to help with them, anticipating that there would be about 30 uh, people there to uh, help plant churches. They call the guy next to him the survivor, the preacher, because the Muslims have tried to kill him over and over again, and he always escapes some way or another. His life is on a daily basis being threatened to be killed because if you can kill the shepherd, you can wipe them all out. But he continues to survive, continues to thrive. <clears throat> Aaron arrived there a few weeks ago. Why don't you see the next slide to train those 30. Uh, you'll see five bicycles that Ethos sent over. 300 showed up to be trained. I mean, how do you divide 300 by five bicycles, you know? Bicycles, there's transportation. They're getting on there, going out into the countryside, spreading the gospel, planting churches. It is just absolutely beautiful how ungodly, unholy people, by the purifying, powerful word of God, turn into godly, holy people. Tell me God's word is not a purifier. The redemptive work of Christ is discovered in the word of God that transforms people. And it also takes self-control. Uh, it's not just being passive. Look at the next thing. It's not, holy is not just being passive. It takes self-control to develop 
this obedience and, and uh, self-control. It's not something that just happens to us one time as an act. It's certainly when we are put our faith in Christ, we are declared holy. But there's a reason why we're declared holy, so that we can practice godly things, the excellent things of this world, uh, of God in this world that we live. Just like the Israelites, if we don't exercise self-control, we'll find ourselves apart from God in ungodly things as the Israelites were in their idols. However, that's not what we ought to be. Peter says, how are you made holy? You're made holy through self-control and obedience. And self-control is very much like a muscle in your body. If you don't use certain muscles in your body, guess what? It's of no benefit to you. You grow weaker, not stronger. But if you exercise self-control and use the muscles in a proper way, you'll have strength, you'll have endurance, you'll have health, you'll have productivity, you will have fruits from the muscles that are being exercised. To be holy with godly practices is like Asaph and Caleb or Joshua. And it requires self-control. It requires a training, an alertness, an endurance, and an obedience. Uh, you're to be holy, which means that you have a desire to be like God. Which means you want to practice the things by His grace that He wants you, that He has in store for you. And as Peter says, ignorance is no excuse. You can go to your doctor once a month and say, I feel drained, I have no energy. I can't get anything done. I feel lethargic. And the doctor can say, are you exercising? And you say, no, but could you give me something to make me feel better? Well, I'm sure there's some pill out there that will make you feel better for a little bit of time. But unless you're willing to put in the exercise, unless you're willing to make the changes, you're always going to feel run down and drained, no energy, no strength, because you're not exercising self-control. And eventually your health will fail and you'll have major issues. And ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is no excuse. So that's, that's what happens when we're holy. And what happens when we're holy, that's how we're made holy. What happens when we're holy is life-changing. What happens when we're holy, it is absolutely transforming. We saw the example of what happened in Parwage, Uganda. But you don't have to go to the other ends of the world to find examples of that. You can see it in your own life. You can... Uh, experience in your own neighborhood. We can see it in our own country if we would truly live out what it means to be holy and godly. See, what happens when we're holy is that we have a mission, and we understand that mission, don't we? We have a purpose. Isaiah the prophet, on a crisis day, when the king had died, who'd been in power for decades, and the people were faced with the invasion of a major empire, the Assyrians. Isaiah goes to the temple for inspiration and encouragement. And he gets the presence of God. He sees the presence of the holy, holy, holy God. And in the Bible, Hebrew, they have no exclamation points. So to really emphasize something, they would repeat that word over and over again. So when he says, holy, holy, holy God, God is what? Holy. All right. That is our father to be like him. This holy, holy, holy God, he cleansed Isaiah, separated Isaiah. And this holy, holy God says, Isaiah, I need someone to go speak to the people about how they've abandoned me and they need to come back to me. But they're not going to listen to anyone I send. They're not going to hear anything that person says. Uh, who, who can I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, holy, holy, holy God. Send me. Use me. Knowing that he was already on a failed mission. Knowing that he would have no converts. Knowing that everyone would reject him, he says, I want to be on your side. I want my purpose in life to fulfill your mission. 
Here I am, send me, train me, develop me, use me in that mission. And that's exactly what God desires for us, folks. To look up every once in a while from this ordinary life that we live and realize there's so much more to our life. There's so much more than family and career and making money and having friends. I'm here for a reason. God has set me apart like a red cup for a reason. What is my purpose? God wants to use me. I am already holy because I put my faith in Christ. The word of God is purifying me, making me godly. But now I want to be the Isaiah for my family, my friends, my nation, my community, my neighborhood, my place of work. Here I am, Lord. Send me even if no one else will listen. That's our mission. Our mission is always, always relational. It's not coming to church on a Sunday morning, sitting in a pew and listening to a sermon. It is relational. Go back to 1 Peter 1.22. When you're purified by the word of God, you love the truth. You love the truth and you have a deep love for one another. Do you see it? Sincere love for the truth because of what it's doing for us to purify and give us power. But we love one another deeply from the heart. What happens when my life is transformed by God to become holy and godly? Like Asa, I dedicate my things of my life to God. Like Caleb, I put my trust in God. Like Joshua, I make the decision. I make the decision that my family is going to serve God above all else in my neighborhood, wherever I am. They're going to know that my family belongs to God. And people are going to think I'm crazy. And people are sometimes going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm a little bit strange because I'm putting my trust in a God I cannot see. But I'm going to be like Asa and Isaiah and Caleb and Joshua. Because that's what Jesus calls us to be. Amen? Our mission is relational, to change the hearts of people, to bring that good news of Christ to a world that's filled with evil and ignorance. You go to 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, We put our faith in the living stone, Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's only Jesus who can build us into a spiritual house. He's the one who makes us into a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. I worship God on Sunday because he's my father. I worship him every day of the week because he's my father. I'm transformed in my service to other people because he is my father. I am the priest in my neighborhood. I'm the priest in my family. I'm the priest among my friends. Not the priest in the Catholic sense of where people confess sins to us and we absolve them of our sins. But the priest in the sense that God has is that when people were going through a crisis, when people needed a word from the Lord, when people needed some sort of comfort, when they needed guidance, that they would go to the priest to receive that word of God, to receive prayer, sacrifice, so that they would have some sort of hope that there's some sort of answer for the complexities of the life in which they're living. Folks, when you set yourself apart to live for God and you're living godly, people will be drawn to the Lord that's within you. Amen? Be that priest. Be that priest, relational. Our mission is relational. Second, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, we're called to be a holy nation. We have a dual citizenship. My citizenship, first and foremost, is in heaven. America comes always second. They are not the same. You can be a citizen in heaven and not be an American. Hopefully all Americans would be citizens in heaven. That would be God's desire, just like any other But my standards, my values, my laws, my guidance, my direction come from heaven and not from Washington. That's why we're to have the mind of Christ, to be transformed. And not to conform to this world. 
In this world, we're often told to be alert, to be compliant, to be correct, to be tolerant, to be productive, to be sensitive. But let me tell you something. When we know that those things are in violation of God's laws and values, we do not honor those laws. We will violate them, conscience clear and clean. We will not compromise heaven's laws to elect people who are ungodly and against those laws. We will not support that in any fashion, no matter the justification. We will not conform because we have been transformed. And whatever that means, for whatever time we live in, we will live transformed lives because our lives are relational. I know as a country it looks like often that we've drifted from being holy and godly. But Jesus himself said, I want you to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. That's our prayer. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. I know that too often in our country we celebrate what's unholy and profane and filthy and ungodly and wicked. And evil seems to have permeated every part of our culture. And it's sad and it's sickening. However, we must remember that we're not the first culture or last culture that will experience this. Even in the early brothers and sisters in the first century, they faced the same sort of ideas and evil that was there as well. Our mission is the same today. It's relational. To make a difference in the world. We're a holy nation. We're a holy people that belong to God. And uh, to be holy is a willingness to be used by God. We're not better than others. We're saved by the blood of Christ. We believe in Christ. We believe that he transforms us. We know that living a holy life with the godly practices is truly the way to live. And in this culture, when people finally realize it, and some will, that they are following wicked ungodly, profanity, profanity, profane ways that are leading them to destruction, they will wake up and you had better be living a life that is devoted to God so they know where to turn. You don't give up. You don't get discouraged. You don't shut them out. We're in the world but not out of the world. Why? So that as Jesus separated himself for us, we can be separated for God from this world to lead others. Those values make a difference. That lifestyle makes a difference. Believe it. Count on it. Don't ever deter from it. That's our mission to reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. Now, when we do that, it results in praise and glory to God. Look in 1 Peter 2, 5 through 12. Not surprisingly, those of us who've experienced being separated for God into holiness and living a godly lifestyle, of course we declare his praises, don't we? We're so thankful for his mercy and for his forgiveness. Of course we do. And we're filled with that measure of joy that Jesus spoke about in John 17. However, it does not end there. This is what's really neat. When we're holy and separated for God, and we develop those godly attitudes and behaviors and words, those begin to reflect a change within us, and people take notice. Now, some people are going to treat you like you're really weird and strange. You mean you're putting your hope in a story of a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, that he was put in the grave for three days and three nights and was really dead, that he was, that he was risen from the dead, raised from the dead, that he was seen by hundreds of people, that he ascended to heaven wherever was by looking, and one day he's coming back. That doesn't sound like faith. That sounds like fantasy. It sounds like foolishness to them. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds like superstition. It sounds like uneducated people, doesn't it? But we know the truth. 
They might even make fun of you. Say, well, hey, why don't you come and party with us tonight? Why don't you participate in some of the evil desires that are there? And you say, no, I'm not doing that because I want to please my father. Uh, I'm separated from him. My values, my morals, my purity. No, I'm not going to sleep with you. No, I'm not going to do the things you call me to do. I'm, I'm not going to participate in those things. I'm not going to get drunk with you. I'm not going to do the things you want me to do because, no, I, I'm now separated for God. I'm, I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to live for my father because he's given me a mission. And my mission is to try to convince you to quit living that way and see the truth. However, many may think you're weird. Many may make fun of you. But then Peter says, there's another group. There's another group who will see that you have set yourself apart by the action of Christ. And you're godly in your practices and by your lifestyle and your values, although they may never agree or even change the way they live, they will honor God and give glory to him because of the good deeds that you're doing among them. Wow. What happens when we're holy is that we have a mission which results in praise and glory to God. And it's all possible because Jesus Christ decided to be holy for us in order for us to be holy. Did you ever think about that? On the cross, the perfect Christ had all your sins and mine placed on him. All the sins of humanity, all placed upon him. He bore our sins as our substitute. And in that wrenching moment of anguish and pain, when all the sins of the world are placed upon him, this Jesus who had never for one moment in his life ever been separated from God, ever, from the holy, holy, holy God, never been separated, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? midst of that sin, Jesus separates himself from that Holy Father so that you and I can experience being joined together with God forever. Nothing more powerful. Nothing more greater. He knew what he was facing. Separation on the cross from God the Father. He prayed, Father... Set me apart. Let me fulfill your will so that these, us, will be separated from the world of evil and be joined with you in righteousness. And his sanctifying decision worked, didn't it? That's why we're here today. It's working on your heart today. Because of him, you can be holy. Because of him, the Spirit and the Word of God can work in your life to transform you change you, to impact your own life, the life of your family, your friends, to impact this culture. Don't give up on our culture. To impact the nations around us so that in the end, and even now, when people see the good deeds that we do because we love the Lord so much, they will give glory and praise to God, our Father. If he's not your Father today, let me just end with this question. What sort of people do you want to be? What do you want to be? I hope that the decision is to be with God. Make that decision as together we stand and as we sing.